So I came home from confessions yesterday and was saddened that Father Dan was at hard at work taking the Christmas tree down as today is the final day of the Christmas season, at least in the church, sometimes in the world, we're way past it. I see Valentine's cards at the grocery store. Our tree has done the yeoman's work. I bought it the day after Thanksgiving with my brother and his family at a farm in Greenfield. We set it up in the family room and decorated it after the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December the 8th. Because this was the first live Christmas tree that he's ever seen, I assigned Father Joe the task of watering it every day, which he dutifully did. <laughs> kind of felt guilty. I hate watering the tree, so I told him it would be fun for him. It was a bad Christmas Thomas Sawyer move if there ever was one, but it got very dry this past week. My job was to get rid of the Christmas tree and clean up the needles when I got back. Feeling a bit like the Grinch under the cover of night, I dragged it to the dumpster on the way to the gym to exercise, and that was that. And now we turn the page to probably my least favorite time of the year, January. On the other hand, this week marks the transition from our survey of the birth and early life of Jesus to his awesome mission of redemption and salvation. Entering into ordinary time refers not only to the readings and practices of the Mass and Church, but a return to the routine and the normal rhythms of our lives. As wonderful as the Christmas season is, I must admit there's a certain sense of comfort that our lives are going to get back to normal. The planning, the socially distant visitors, the shopping, and all the preparations are over, and now it is time to get to the ordinary business of life. We can see the same transition in the life of Jesus as well, beginning with the first moments of the Incarnation when Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and became the Virgin Mother of God. We have followed along with her and those who took part in the planning, the travel, the visitors, the gifts, and the preparation for Christ coming into the world. After finding Jesus in the temple, teaching the scholars of the law, Jesus went home, the scriptures tell us, and was obedient to his parents. Great thing for kids to learn. He went home and was obedient to his parents to learn the thing that everyone learns as we grow up, even learning a trade as a carpenter. And we are told that he grew in wisdom and favor before God and man. Scripture scholars call the first 30 years of Jesus' life the hidden years, because we know so little about it besides the finding of the Lord in the temple. We only know of Jesus' birth, his presentation in the temple, and his flight into Egypt. The rest is left in obscurity. We can make some, some presumptions, however. He was the son of a carpenter, so most likely he learned to work with his hands. As was evidenced by the flight into Egypt, we know that Jesus lived under the threat of persecution and death. He experienced the hard life of a refugee as a young child, as Mary and Joseph fled the wrath of Herod for Jesus' safety. So one can easily conclude by the first uh, by this, that Jesus was most likely poor, even homeless for a time. In his gospel, St. John reported that his own people rejected him, which says to me that due to his perfection and that he always followed the rules, followed God's law, the 
that maybe he didn't fit in all the time. Maybe he was even bullied during the hidden years of his ministry by those who simply didn't understand him. Who knows? But I would guess that it wasn't exactly a stress-free life in the country. As the Son of God, he didn't lead a sheltered existence from the moment of his birth. He experienced our trials of life and more. Still, despite these difficulties that could have given Jesus a reason to rebel in his early years, Jesus, of course, as the Son of God, remained focused. He obviously learned the scriptures and spent time in prayer communing with his Father in heaven. His hidden years were defined by his obedience. And we know that Jesus' life, his religious life, was intact as a faithful Jew. From our vantage point and from St. Luke's Gospel, we know that Jesus, the second person of our Trinitarian God, followed the fourth commandment. That is, he honored and was obedient to his earthly parents, that as God, he had created. Those called to the rabbinic service of God usually began their ministry at age 30. So it doesn't seem to be a coincidence that age 30, following the norms of the culture, Jesus leaves home to begin his earthly ministry. I'm sure, too, that as he set out, there was sadness and concern and fear on the part of Joseph and Mary, just as we send, we send people off to college, there is fear. This son was especially gifted in speaking the truth, a message that would no doubt offend many, and thus he would pay a large price, and they would not be able to protect him. But in obedience to his father's will, Jesus walked away from his private life, saying goodbye to the intimate, quiet days with his parents, and headed southeast to the Jordan River. And it is there that he meets up with John, who is also obediently preparing the way for the Lord. He is in the mud of the Jordan River, baptizing sinners and prostitutes, a very earthly scene indeed. Jesus' baptism, though, is not like ours, of course. We were baptized in the Trinity and initiated into the life of the Catholic Church. Jesus' baptism by, by John was a baptism of forgiveness, a way for people who were off track to begin anew. So we could ask, why did Jesus take the plunge as he was without sin? Even John questioned this request, reminding Jesus that it should have been the other way around, that Jesus should be baptizing him. But Jesus insists, saying, Allow it for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. In biblical times, to fulfill all righteousness refers to the plan of God unfolding in a person's life. It means that Jesus would do whatever it took to advance his will, God's will and the gospel and to fulfill his role in salvation history. Jesus, of course, fulfilled that destiny. We all know that. Jesus was born for Calvary. He was to teach others about the love of God, to die for that cause. And in the process of baptism indicating the beginning of his public ministry, he is teaching us about our need for baptism and what that means for us. And of course, the scriptures tell us that there was an appearance of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of God's 
pleasure in Jesus. We hear God's voice twice in the New Testament. This time and in the transfiguration. This is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. That is, Jesus discerned not his own will, but that of his Father in heaven, and in obedience he fulfilled that would, would, would no longer matter the cost. In our own day, obedience is a word that kind of evokes a lot of negative emotion. Many of our fellow citizens have thumbed their noses at the concept of obedience this past week, and also throughout this year, that instills a sense of law and order. We have this idea that we should be only obedient as long as we are perhaps in our teenage years, and then we can do the then we have the right to do our own thing and to find happiness on our own terms. But if doing what we want is supposed to make us happy, then why are there so many unhappy people today? Well, it's especially because Americans are casting off the yoke of faith in great numbers today. We should all be happy, happy, happy if that's the case. Perhaps they are discovering that being, on their own, being their own God is arduous and difficult work, and we're not happy. The word obedience means rapt listening, and a prerequisite to obedience is faith. That is, first we must become convinced in prayer that God loves us. He's on our side. He longs for us and wants what is best for us. Secondly, God trusts us to play a role in establishing his kingdom. It's one of the points of baptism, that we are baptized into the priestly, prophetic, and kingly ministry of Jesus Christ to fulfill our purpose in this life to prepare for eternal life. So we end the Christmas season today, and in the process, we jump into ordinary time pondering Jesus' earthly ministry and I would dare say ah, ours as well. Jesus is all grown up, and as we continue in this new year, the church asks us to grow up as well, to mature in our commitment to living our baptismal promises and to be who God calls us to be.